Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Luis Armendares, and he is a lawyer down in Mexico looking at the Mexican cannabis market. And we're going to talk to him a little bit about what's going on in Mexico relative to cannabis, what the kind of history is, really what the situation is now, where the market's going, how things are set up legally. So really kind of understand you know, how that's helping shape not only the kind of North American cannabis market, but really the international cannabis market that is developing and evolving here over time the last couple of years and is moving pretty quickly. And I'm excited about this. We haven't, I don't think we've dug into the Mexican cannabis market a whole lot on this program, at least in the last 20, 30 episodes. So it'll be fun to kind of hear what's going on, get an update, and really kind of understand what's happening south of the U.S. border here and uh, understanding where the opportunities are from the cannabis point of view. With that, Luis, welcome to the program. Hi, Bruce. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining. So let's learn a little bit about you and background. How did you get into the cannabis world? What was your professional background? 
background. Tell us the story. Sure. Well, I am a, a Mexican business attorney. I went to law school in Monterrey. I graduated from the Tech de Monterrey. Uh, Monterrey is uh, probably the, the industrial capital of the country. Worked there for a few years at a couple of large law firms. Then um, I had my side set in going to the U.S. so that I could get some academic and uh, professional experience. So I applied to a few law schools uh, for a Master of Laws and LLM, and I ended up going to Chicago, the Windy City, to Northwestern, where I got a Master of Laws. And it was a pretty interesting program that I really wanted to attend that included a joint degree with the business school. So I got a degree from Kellogg as well. Uh, uh, for international attorneys. And, yeah, and uh, I, I love that town. <laughs> and um, after that, I was my next uh, step that I had planned was uh, probably end up, if possible, at a big law firm, right? And I ended up at a big firm, but in the Phoenix, Arizona office. It's a large firm called Brian Cave. At that time, they mm-hmm. uh, a few years ago, they merged with. Uh, UK law firm. So they're now called Brian Cave Layton Paisner. So I worked there for three years. There was a group of three Mexican attorneys in Phoenix. Uh, There was a Brazilian attorney also, I think, in the DC office. So we handled most of the Latin American work for corporate clients, multi-jurisdiction transactions. And at that time, there was a lot of real estate activity in Mexico, Mm -hmm. you know, developments, people buying their second homes you know, U.S. citizens or Canadian citizens. So we did real estate, industrial, residential, and just like the project finance part of it. And um, I was there for three years until 2009, which were interesting years. Obviously, you know, everybody knows what happened with real estate in 2008. And I thought that was a a good time for me to start my my final project in my uh, career plan, which was uh, my, my own firm. So it's been pretty, pretty, pretty interesting, probably <laughs> about a little over 10 years now. Uh, we're, I guess, for a Mexican standard, we're a mid-sized firm. We do okay. corporate transactional, labor and employment, uh, criminal uh, on the corporate side and litigation. So we uh, provide, uh, you work with clients in different industries from mining, aerospace, agro-industry, energy, infrastructure. And a couple of years ago, two or three years ago, you know, with us working a lot with especially Canadian law firms that uh, had mining clients, you know, companies listed Mm -hmm. in the TSX or or, or Canadian Stock Exchange. In 2017, when they legalized cannabis for all uses, uh, including recreational, that year was also when Mexico amended health law to allow for medical use of cannabis products that would not exceed 1% of THC. So I guess that was one of the first major steps in Mexico. So we started uh, getting a lot of inquiries and questions from colleagues and, and, uh, you know, other services providers. And, and, you know, we started investing time and two or three years later, here we are very much invested in, in what's going on in Mexico. Yeah. And give us the kind of the details, because I know the the way it kind of un, unrolled or you know unfolded in, in Mexico was a little different. This was a, a change to the Constitution that basically 
allowed or legalized cannabis under this 1% THC level. But give us a little of the story or, or how that played out. Because I think I think for people in the states, you know, every, this is happening at a state level. We don't really have federal stuff yet, but you actually had a federal change. How did that actually work and how has it played out? Yeah, that's a, that's an important thing to note uh, from the start, right? It's, this is something that is going to happen at a federal level, not, not state by state. So here, it's been a battle for quite some time. Bills that have been introduced throughout time, tens of bills. And on the other hand, you have advocates and nonprofits and associations that have been pushing for user rights to, you know, on the recreational part. So the way, the strategy that ended up yielding the first tangible legal results uh, for these first steps was a judicial battle. We had a couple of efforts led by nonprofits formed by people with different, very interesting backgrounds, uh, including like high profile attorneys there. Mm -hmm. And basically they started a judicial battle claiming that the right to use for adult use of, uh, you know, the, of high content of THC of the plant was a constitutional right. And these battles ended up in the Supreme Court, in the Mexican Supreme oh, Court. Yeah. So they started getting the, their favorable resolutions, recognizing that this right, it was, I guess, a, a progressive or innovative approach uh, mm -hmm. on human rights uh, when they acknowledged that the right of a user, it, it's a right to self-determine, you know, your own personality and your own health. So, yeah. yeah, so these these resolutions reached the uh, five consecutive uninterrupted resolutions. By uninterrupted, I mean no resolutions in the middle on, on resolving otherwise, just yeah. on the same on the same grounds. So that became under the Mexican legal system, a jurisprudence, which means it becomes mandatory criteria or a legal precedent for all the, all yeah. of the Mexican courts. And what the other legal effect was that the provisions in the in the general health law that prohibited or that banned the use of the psychoactive part of or one more than one percent THC of the plant, mm -hmm. they ruled them unconstitutional. So the order, because they deem it unconstitutional, they order the legislative power of the country, meaning the Senate mm -hmm. and Congress, the lower house to legalize, to change this law and to legalize, to issue the rules that would govern how recreational plant can be used for recreational purposes, right? So this, so this you couple it with what already exists on the medical side. And I guess that's when, you know, when that jurisprudence came out, it was October of 2018, when we had a new president taking office. So one of the first actions, actually, it was, you know, kind of a coincidence. This, I, I believe this jurisprudence was issued on October 31st. And mm -hmm. on November 1st, the senator who would eventually take a leave of absence so that he could become a secretary of the interior, they introduced a bill to legalize all uses of the plant. So you have... This bill that, you know, it's been a complicated story ever since, but yeah. we reached a point when the Supreme Court mandate imposed a deadline so that the bill could be passed, that the, the uses, all uses could be legalized. Uh -huh. The first deadline, legal deadline, was October 31st. A lot of people were 
hoping and believing that finally we were going to have full recreational legalized and the Senate asked for an extension, which, <laughs> which was April 30th. So a lot of people thought that we were going to have a very strong celebration of this year's 420. Yeah. And then another extension, but this time because of the just suspension of activities due to the pandemic. Yeah. So the extension was granted a few days ago until the end of the, until December 15th, which is when the legislative period period uh, by the Senate ends. So that's where we're, that's what we have right now. So it's kind of this, because of the Supreme Court, court ruling it is going to happen we just don't know when (laughs) and you know it's uh in mexico we used to have a some time ago the secretary of tourism used to have a slogan you know promoting all the tourist destinations in in mexico and saying Mm -hmm. you know mexico is magical you know magical mexico and 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 sometimes i use it with sarcasm just to say you know like (laughs) this extension you know is it legal should i have done it back in a October, yeah, well, you know, it's magical Mexico. Or, you know, it's, it's hard to find explanations that legally make sense, no, or or politically. But yeah, anytime. I mean, I, as you say, I think we're moving in the right direction, and we, we have we have that part. We have this uh, the medical part that was legalized in 2017. There's also a, a parallel deadline that it's that that we're counting, which is and also comes from the Supreme Court demanding that the secretary of health and the Mexican equivalent of, of, the, of the FDA mm-hmm. issue the secondary rules for those amendments so that people know what the requirements are for yeah. permits, for licenses for those products, and, and obviously the guidelines for the agencies to issue the, the licenses. So that's, a, I guess, the second a second part of this story that is also taking place and, and supposedly something that is already illegal. So, you know, I think it's, uh, as you say, a, a matter of, of when but I still think uh, I'm still optimistic. Yeah, I get it. So what is the status now if from a consumption point of view, if you're walking down the streets of Mexico City with marijuana, is it punishable or what's the status from a day-to-day point of view for, for consumers? Yes, you know, that's one of the main arguments or criticisms by uh, user rights advocates. You know, we, we have a lot of advocates and industry players, you know, emerging industry players and, and people that are pushing for this. And as it happens in many jurisdictions, in many countries, you can have people pushing for it, but with different motivations, right? So the people in favor of user rights one of the main arguments, and, and it's totally true, I, I totally agree with them, that this, this prohibition and the war on drugs in countries like Mexico where corruption is a big problem, yeah, yeah. you know, if you're walking on the streets with a possession, right now you have a five grams, you know, the right to carry up to five grams of the plant. Okay. But if your appearance the police officer, yeah. you know, sees you, profiling, uh, law enforcement, yeah. I mean, they can, you know, there's a, so many stories of just their plant a little more, you know, throw it in your pocket or just uh, say, yeah. you know, you didn't really have five, you had 35 or, and so many, uh, you know, corruption and obviously unfair imprisonments. So that's the, the legal, what you're legally allowed up to five grams. With this new bill, it will be increased to 25 grams. So like on the user or, or consumption side, what does it look like right now in Mexico? Well, obviously you have a big gray or black 
black or illicit yeah. market, you can buy. You can go to social media. You'll find accounts not only for recreational products, but also for CBD oils. You know, CBD, you know, people yep. that are looking for something for arthritis or insomnia. Or so Non-selective. And yeah. they will be, the, in case of these CBD products, they will be most likely illegal because of this lack of secondary rules that I just mentioned. Got because it. they're supposed to be legal, but there's no rules to say how to legally import them. So you have a, an illicit market, you know, so people say, you know, it's not black because the black market are the actual narcos, you know, killing people. Maybe yeah. if you want to call it gray, because some things can be technically legal, but not, yeah. you know, with a, not really other legal tools to, to yeah. legalize your product. So it's happening. It's growing. The longer we take to legalize, the more these, this illicit uh, market is growing and for, you know, a variety of products. Yeah. And do you have a sense of how the industry is going to kind of be structured in terms of our different, you know, states within Mexico are going to have different local regulations and control. We have got all sorts of funny things here, you know, obviously this cannabis, but even our like liquor is handled on kind of a state by state basis. And there's different kind of rules depending on the state and restrictions. I mean, how much of this is going to be uniform law across Mexico and how much of it is going to be kind of adjusted state by state? And then how is the kind of industry going to shape up? It's going to be a federal law as I mentioned at the beginning. And so this bill that we have is at a, a lot of things are just rules at a very high level. But mm-hmm. how will the industry be structured? So you will have a new government agency created, which is going to be called the Mexican Cannabis Institute. And this institute is going to be in charge of supervision oversight, but also issuing the licenses that will be required uh, for, these, mm-hmm. for these products. And obviously, you know, enforcement. So this is going to depend on this agency, on the Secretary of the Interior. So not health, not agriculture. And the five licenses that are going to be available are cultivation, sale, transformation or processing, Mm -hmm. import and export, and research. So interestingly here, you vertical integration will not be allowed so you cannot have more than one type of licenses oh interesting so it's going to be prohibited yeah from having multiple licenses you have to choose where you're going to specialize exactly so and you you have these five licenses industrial use uh, for hemp has a somehow you know less rigid a regulation so you get like a you would need a different type of permit with you know less stringent requirements okay. so but it also you know provides for that type of use and all uses are so are contemplated industrial medical and scientific uh, mm-hmm. and, and recreational as I said the user if you want to grow at your own home you have a right that to grow your plants but not more than four plants yeah. and or six per household and it sets some limits, some like geographic or, or surface limits on whether you're doing it, you know, for recreational purposes intended for like commercial or, or sale purposes. I think it's 1000 meters if you are indoors 
and one hectare if you are doing it outdoors, uh, outdoor grow. So you have all these these new licenses. A lot of regulations are going to be left to uh, secondary rules that have to be issued. But yeah. you can have, so you have these licenses, you have edibles and, and beverages and cosmetics are allowed as long okay. as they don't exceed 1% of THC. The distinction between hemp and THC is that line of 1% uh, THC, hemp and marijuana, I'm sorry. Yeah, so marijuana will be above 1% and hemp, it will be anything that has less than 1%. Yeah, because in the States, it's 0.3% is our our hemp designation arbitrary <laughs> number that we've chosen. Yes. And um, so, and, and it also, uh, you know, one of the, of the, of the main pillars or, or uh, foundations of this bill is the concept of social justice, right? This comes yeah. from the president's strategy at the beginning of, of his administration when he published it in the national development plan, which is a document that he has to publish that a president has to publish in the federal official gazette. And it has a, a short paragraph saying, we recognize that the war on drugs has failed and therefore we need to implement a new strategy that includes the legalization of marijuana. So that that's where this is coming from on his side. And how is it reflected in this bill? The ban on vertical integration that I just mentioned will not apply to local uh, farming communities that can somehow prove that they were affected throughout time, you know, historically by the prohibition and the war on drugs. So, you know, communal land, uh, farmer communities, you know, low income, they can have more than one license. And in, in the first five years after the law is enacted, they will have a preference for 40% of the cultivation licenses. So, so there's a, they've cleaved off 40% of the licenses for yes. people that qualify under this program. Yeah. So, you know, you, one could see this as a as an area of opportunity for, you know, joint ventures or just partnerships with, you know, communities that, you know, you can, they can exploit and use their cultivation licenses. And if you have technology or know-how and obviously resources, you know, economic resources, then you can, you can explore those opportunities. This social justice is trying to be reflected in those ways, but also it has some contradictions because the, the bill has traceability and testing requirements. So how is a farming community going to be able or, or have access to the technology that you need for, you know, to meet or comply with the traceability? Yeah. So uh, a lot of areas of opportunity. And but, you know, if you see the big picture, if you zoom out, I think it's it will be a big step, a good step, because Mexico needs this new green economy, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm curious on the the decision to separate out the licenses. Is this what's the rationale there? Is they want to prevent you know having too much organization across the supply chain so they can control it better, or they felt like it was going to create a better economy? Or kind of curious why they chose that that model or why it seems to be going down that. Path. Yeah, I mean, how did they come out with this structure with this uh, bill? They, they, you know, the bill and the legislative process that the Senate decided to to follow was uh, what they call open parliament. So that meant that probably, I guess, for a year or 10 months at least, mm -hmm. they held at least, I don't know, maybe once a month 
panels and 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 the conferences at the Senate. Uh, they invited people from Health Canada. From I think they invited a former director of CBP from the U.S. People mm -hmm. from Uruguay, from Colombia, uh, you know, uh, attorneys from other countries, so that they could share the experience in other countries, right, and see how they could design a structure and how how they would model the. I guess the legal structure that the industry would have to abide. And I think, I mean, it is supposed to be a product of those experiences. There's also, to be honest, uh, you know, a lot of input that a lot of associations and people from Mexico provided with very educated feedback or input. I was part of some of those efforts. And, and we also feel, you know, that a lot of those things were not really taken into account. But at the end of the day, they came out with, I guess, the best way that they think the economic activity can be regulated based on what they learned from other countries. Yeah. And if you ask me who was, who had the biggest influence on this bill, uh, you know, that's like the, see if the $64 million question, yeah. right? Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of theories, conspiracy theories. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it seems like it's. Um, uh, I mean, these are big decisions, right? You're, I mean, you're talking about how you're going to structure an entire industry inside of a country, and it's it's not a small industry. I mean, this is clearly. I mean, it, it's been around for a long time, you know, and and trying to legalize it and trying to put it under uh, government control is is not an easy thing. Yeah, um, I mean, one for sure. One fact is that this is still a very controversial topic in the in Mexico, right? Yeah. Uh, the levels of acceptance of the plan are very high or increasing for, you know, therapeutical purposes, CBD mm -hmm. oils and that part. The acceptance for recreational part, marijuana, they are still low. But at the same time, you know, if you talk about a 3% or 4% of a, of a country with 130 million people of population, mm -hmm. then it still represents an interesting market. Yeah. So what that causes is that this will be a highly regulated industry. I think, and this is my opinion and, and mm -hmm. other people share it, that the president is somewhere, you know, he's a left party uh -huh. president, but deep within he has, he's kind of conservative. And so the recreational part is not, you know, he's not crazy about it. And, and uh, even though the legislative power is supposed to be independent from the other two, uh, judicial and executive, a lot of things won't move without the president's blessing. So yeah. I think that's, that's what has been a part of the reason for this delay. But, you know, he has to acknowledge and keep in mind that there is a legal obligation, uh, a legal mandate from the Supreme Court. So uh, there's not really a way to avoid it. Yeah. So uh, it's uh, it's still controversial. But as you say, you know, it, it will be a new economy. There's, you know, what's the effect on, on an international landscape when this happens? I mean, on one hand, you have foreign companies, foreign investors that are, you know, Mexico is going to be only the third country, right, to legalize yeah. in the world, federal level. So that's a domestic market of 130 million people. Like I said, all uses, medical, cultivation, you have all this potential 
that everybody knows what the potential of for Mexico geographically, the sunlight, uh, yeah, the weather exactly. conditions have the tradition of Mexico as, as you know, mm-hmm. as, as a herbolary and, you know, the plants. So you, you, you know, invest on, on the domestic market if you want to, if you're thinking about retail, you know, sale, or if you want to come. And these are obviously opportunities that Mexican agro-industrial, you know, domestic companies and investors are sure. uh, aware of is, you know, if I do, if I have the agro-industrial resources, if I have the land, the location where I can produce something that can end up eventually supplying the demand of other countries, coupled obviously with uh, just being the neighbor of the U.S., right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and in Canada. So I think, you know, it, it's like a two ways to to see what the opportunity looks like when when this happens. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm fascinated that, you know, that you actually have a specific license for import-export because, mm-hmm. you know, I think it just shows the opportunity, particularly for a, a country that has, you know, the agricultural muscle to be able to really provide, you know, high-quality cannabis. It's definitely setting yourselves up as a producer. I mean, clearly, we, we've seen a lot of lot of food products, you know, that we consume here in the U.S. now. We you know, are grown in Mexico at this point just because of the, the advantageous just growing conditions and you know labor and all those things so i would not be surprised if there's some similar trends on that i mean I've clearly we're stuck in the states with the federal kind of situation we're in so we can't do that but um yeah that's an interesting play any big things that you see kind of you know coming sort of next steps i guess into the industry i mean it sounds like this is kind of tied up in the legislative process in terms of creating these rules and secondary rules and things but any big unknowns or questions that are being debated right now well one obviously most of the people are just focused and centered on this bill so hopefully they won't take until december you know the last day because it's important to note that this bill has to be passed by both houses so not you know just the senate so the mexican yeah. le- legislative process implies that the senate will approve the bill this bill was already approved in march by the senate committees so that was a big step okay. on march 4th so that means that there may be some minor changes or reservations as they call them and then submitted to general vote on the senate and that means they send it to the lower house, the Chamber of Deputies. The same happens, committee approvals and then general vote. And then it comes back for the Senate for the final approval and send it for the president so they can, so he can sign it and publish it. So uh, at least the, 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 uh, the, the chamber's approval has to take place by December. So we have that, but also, as I mentioned before, uh, we have that process where a lot of us are expecting for the Mexican uh, FDA or COFEPRIS, as, as we call it by, by its acronym. Mm-hmm. Uh, COFEPRIS has to issue this, these rules uh, where we can see uh, what, you know, what are the requirements? Uh, you know, these products with less than 1% THC for medical use are already legal. So tell me what are the requirements so that I can file an application and and get a get a permit, uh, at least a sanitary permit of, of the, you know, for, for the import of these products and sales. So that that is supposed to be an ongoing process. Uh, it is not really clear if that's going to happen or if they're going to just leave it uh, for the bill to cover that part too. So, but, you know, some of us are hopeful that we can get some guidance by, by the agency. So that's one, one thing. Um, the other thing is, uh, 
you have all these sanitary rules, uh, but if you're going to import any type of product, you have a separate set of, of rules uh, or law that uh, sets forth the uh, tariff classifications for, for import and export. So if you see that now, even if the sanitary or health law allows for medical cannabis uh, products with less than 1% THC, If you go and see the tariff classification in the Mexican law of uh, import and export taxes, it prohibits just everything that derives from cannabis. So even <laughs> if you're talking about hemp, yeah. hemp is only mentioned and allowed for as a raw material for construction purposes or, te yeah. or textiles or yeah. the hemp seeds. Um, so, you know, the superfood that you can find in the supermarket. Yeah. So that has to be also aligned. And, and uh, the term that uh, so, some use is a har harmonization of laws, right? That we're not only, we have to be aware that not only the bill has to be passed, obviously that's the first steps that maybe will trigger the rest of them. But you also have to keep in mind the tariff classification so that you don't reach, you know, the port of entry and you get stuck at customs because it's not really allowed yeah uh, exactly. you know uh and 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 i guess the last part that i would uh mention uh and that i always bring it up in my conversations with uh, potential investors or companies already planning their strategy for mexico is uh you don't have to wait uh until the first day of the law being uh, effective to take action, right? You can, you know, if, if you have your trademarks, uh, your products in, in, in the U.S. or anywhere else, uh, you are going to probably one of the first steps that you need to do is come and see if that mark will be available and granted and protected in Mexico if you yeah. want to sell your products. If, you're gonna, if you want to follow up, you know, CBD stores that you want to follow like a franchise model, then that's, you know, legal uh, business work that you can start doing. You want to form your Mexican company. Uh, if you want to do on the commercial side, like what are your... Uh, distribution channels going to be. Uh, do you know who the players are? The main super, you know, the the convenience stores chains, or uh, or if you're more on the industrial hemp, uh, do you want? Are you going to find like a cultivation partner with uh, enough land so that they can uh, you can design and build up your business model? Um, you know, it's you know just. Uh, It depends on how, what the approach, uh, what approach you want to take. If you want to be proactive and see, you know, because you know, things are going to happen eventually. So. Yeah. Yeah. No. Exactly. There's. It's uh. Get 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 all the ducks lined up in order, ready to go, uh, before the laws get passed. Uh, this has been great, uh, Louis. Uh, if if people want to know more about you, about um, you know, really kind of understanding the uh, Mexican cannabis market, what's the best way to get uh, get your information and and get a hold of you? Um, well, they they could check my my website. My firm's website is uh, C A A M Legal dot mx uh cam with a double a legal dot mx or they can look me up in linkedin uh my, my profile uh i guess uh luis armendaris uh l-u-i-s and then my last name a-r-m-e-n-d-a-r-i-z as in zebra um i'm i'm constantly you know uh pretty active in social media 
Uh, my Twitter handle is Luis Armandaris uh, as well, but uh, LinkedIn or my website, uh, you can find my contact information there. Great. I'll make sure that the uh, links are in the show notes so people can click through and, and get that. Luis, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Really great insight on on Mexico and the, and the cannabis situation and look forward to kind of keeping in touch and seeing how things play out. But it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Yeah, it's been a pretty nice chat, Bruce. I appreciate your invitation. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, Download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.